And so I'm super thankful that I have an amazing wife and God has blessed me and my family immensely. But to how many appreciate those moments of rest and those moments of quietness? Those are incredibly important moments. And, and today we're going to talk about something else that's incredibly important as believers and as Christians and as people. Uh, we're going to, over this Christmas series, uh, sorry, this Christmas Advent season, we're going to talk about uh, four different things uh, in relati- relating to worship, worshiping the coming King, who is Jesus. And as we approach the birth of our Savior, we want to look at a number of different topics that will teach us how to approach Worship And traditionally, we call this the Advent season. And Advent, does anyone know the definition of Advent? Good, I wrote it down for us this morning. It says, the arrival of a notable person or thing. And if you ask me, the coming of the Savior of the world is probably a notable thing to look forward to. Uh, Probably the most notable thing that we could have ever looked forward to. And we look forward to it yet again. And what we really want to do is take time to focus on who Jesus is. We want to take time to focus on what it is that he came to do. And we want to take the time and and realize the power of who he is and where he has come from. That is a popular toy, by the way. My kids fight over that one, so it is important. I understand. Even I want to play with that toy. But we want to take the time to focus on Jesus. Even in the chaos of life, even when things are busy, even if we are playing the single parent for a while or the grandparent or whatever the case is, we, we need to take time and recognize who Jesus is and take the time to worship him because he is God. And we recognize today that we're not only called to come and worship, but in fact, we we're actually created to worship. And if you jump into Matthew chapter 2, the very first um, reading of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, you'll read an account. You don't have to turn there this morning because it's going to be really quick, but I opened my Bible anyway. But you go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, and it says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Say, come to worship him. Oh, good, you're still with me. I haven't put you to sleep yet. I talk about rest. You never know who's going to fall asleep in church, okay? First part of the Christmas story you see in Matthew 2, we have come to worship him. What I love about this is that the wise men didn't come to get something from God. They saw a star in the east, or they saw a star in the west that came from the east, and they, and they said, we want to go and worship this new king that has been born. We want to go worship God. We don't want to go and try to get something from this king. We want to go and worship. And I think we have lost some of that in our culture as Christians today. We have lost some things when it comes to worship. We forget what it means. We think it's some sort of formula. We think it's some sort of powerful sort of thing that we can come to God and just ask him for whatever we want. We kind of treat God like a genie or some sort of cosmic vending machine. Like, yeah, I'll take two buttons of prosperity, two buttons of, of a new car, a new house, a new boat, and, uh, you know, a couple miracles of healing along the way will be great. And then when I need you, I'll come back to you when I have another problem or I have another need. 
And sometimes that's how we treat God. And the reality is, is God doesn't put on the genie. If you've ever seen the show, I Dream of Genie, you know, she's got like the scarf and the whatever, in the funky little genie hat, or you watch the lad, and God's not some big blue guy up, up in heaven, uh, granting wishes to people. We're not wishing when we pray to God. We're, we're praying to God for the sake of talking to God. We're worshiping God for his sake. Because he does not exist for us. God does not exist for our benefit. We exist for him. We are created to glorify, to worship, to make him known, not make ourselves known. Now, we got some pretty incredible people in the room, but how would you like to worship Judy this morning? Well, Judy, would you just stand up, please? Well, you, uh, yeah, so would you stand on the, on the bench there? I can make you stand on the stool if you want. No. No, you don't, you don't, it's a safety hazard. But would you all just do me a favor and bow down to Judy for a second? No. <laughs> you, you can be seated, Judy. I don't embarrass you too much. Would anyone else like to volunteer to, to be worshipped this morning? Come on, I know you really want to. All of you are very self-centered. Come on. Anyone? Why? Why not? Because that's not what we were created to do. We weren't created to be worshipped. We were created to worship. We were created to worship God. In fact, that's why we exist. And I think there's a lot of things that we do well as a church. And there's a lot of things as Christians around the world that we do very well. And in North America, there's things that we do very well. But I think sometimes we can get caught up and forget why we exist. Why do we do the things that we do? We do it because of our love for God. We do it because we want to become like our heavenly father, our good, good father that we sang about. We do these things to reflect who he is because he created us in his image. And he has created us to worship him because he's not like us. He's not another human that we just want to worship and lift up. And you notice like some really good, you know, to be a good dictator in the world you have to have people worship you. And so if you want to have people follow you and listen to you, you have to just tell them that you're a god and they'll listen to you. So if you go to ancient Egypt, people believed that Pharaoh was one of the gods, that he was the person to worship as well. And then, of course, Moses comes along and he says, well, my God is bigger than the Egyptian God of Pharaoh. And now the Egyptians went, no way. Our God is the most powerful God. We're the most powerful nation in the world. And Moses says, watch what my God can do. And he, through a series of events, God reveals himself in incredible ways. And the Egyptians go, oh, there really is a God bigger than Pharaoh. And he's the God of Moses and the God of, of all of these people. And we go, there really is a God that's bigger than us. Any good dictator, and if you want to start your own dictatorship, you could probably find a YouTube video on how to do it, because you can do that on YouTube and find anything. But if you want to become a dictator, get people to worship you, and they'll do what you want them to do. And then if you take away their food and only give them a little bit at a time, you can put rule with an iron fist and take care of them. That's not who God is. No, God is a lot, bitter, lot bigger and a lot better than we are when we play the role of God. When we take on the role of God, people get missed, people get looked over, people get hurt, and, and people begin to suffer. When we take over control of our lives, things start to fall apart. We make decisions that aren't the best decisions. We do things that aren't the best things to do. Has anyone ever gone down that road? My hand is up because I've been down that road before.
And I have learned in my young life that serving God, doing things the way that God has ordained them to be, is a better way of doing things. Not so that my life is better because if I make things in my own decisions, in my own power, life really isn't get me very far. But when I do things in his strength and I do what he wants me to do, I am blessed, people around me are blessed, and the world becomes a little bit of a better place. And our world could use a little bit of joy and become a bit of a better place. But I don't want to get off topic here today. What's one of the best ways to worship God? And we're going to look at four different things of why we worship, four different postures of worship. And today we're going to do the uncomfortable one first, maybe the uncomfortable one first. We're going to talk about lifting our hands. And so maybe you saw us do it this morning. Maybe uh, you saw this, or we sang, we sang it in our song. Judy had no idea what I was speaking on today, and she picked the song Waiting Here for You uh, with my hands lifted high in praise. Maybe that's a foreign concept to you. And, and really, do we just walk around with our hands up randomly? It's like, hey, unless we're waving, you know. Uh, you know, some, of, some people are really ambitious when they wave. They're like, hi. And some people are like, don't look at me, just, you know. A little high, or you know when you're driving, you want to feel like you're cool, a little hand on the wheel, just a little finger. Hey. <laughs> but why do we lift our hands? Maybe it's different to you. Maybe you haven't been around, um, you know, around church long enough to know why do people raise their hands when they sing songs? You know, you, you watch YouTube videos of, of, of music and, and church music, and there's some people like lifting their hands, they're dancing, they're doing some weird things that maybe seem strange to you. And to put it on your background, maybe it's completely foreign altogether. And, and there's, uh, there's a couple ways that we can look, look at this. And so I'm going to teach you there's different ways that you can hold your hands up. And I've stolen this from Tim Hawkins. You can look it up on YouTube. He's funnier than me. But he's got the, the, the different postures of raising your hands in worship. Are you ready for them? Do you want to join in? All right, if you want to join in, just stand up. This is good. So we're going to start with the, with the carrying TV music, worship. Okay, carrying TV, worship. All right, if you want to feel a little bolder, widescreen. Okay, widescreen. All right, now you ready? We're going to move up a little bit. My fish was this big. My fish was this big, okay? And if you're Frank, your fish is this big. He's not here, so I can make fun of him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Jesus is number one. The finger point. Jesus is number one. Or my team, my team is number one. All right. Are you ready? High five, worship. High five, worship. All right. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so you could call this one two things. You could call this one the beauty queen worship or the wash the window lady. Okay. Maybe you are that person. All right. Uh, let's see if we can do this. Single girl worship. Look at my ring. No ring. Look at me. Look at me. No ring. Okay. You got that one. Um, sports fan worship. Block the shot. Block the shot. All right. That one you see like 22 and under at a Christian concert. That's the common one. Block the shot. Okay. You got that one. Uh, and then, of course, my favorite one, Mufasa. <laughs> you may be seated this morning. Lion King, Mufasa. If you haven't seen The Lion King, you have no idea what I'm talking about. 
But on a more serious note, it's nice to have fun, and it's fun to make fun of ourselves, because if you can't laugh at yourself, then you can't laugh at all. But on a serious note, let's look actually look at the scriptures this morning. We're going to head over to Psalm 63. And if you have it in your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't, I'm going to read it for you. Psalm 63. An amazing psalm of David and he's actually in one of the lowest points of his life. He's, he's hiding out in the wilderness. And this is his words that he's written to God. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 4. This is what he says. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being belongs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift my hands. I love that last. I will praise you as long as I live. You know what? When I have a bad day, I mean, I've never been in David's shoes. If I could be honest with you this morning, I've had a really good life. I've had low points in my life. I've had challenges in my life. But above all, I've had a very good, comfortable life. You know, I've had situations in my life where people would think, man, that must have been really hard. And you know what the reality was is it really, it really wasn't. Yeah, maybe it was a challenge. Maybe it was a challenge and I didn't even know it. But I think it's just because God has just gifted me and just given me such a love for him at such a young age, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But he's just given me such a love for him that my confidence in him has always been stronger than the problems in front of me. My confidence in God has always been stronger than the fears in front of me. And so even though I face challenges, maybe I don't even realize the significance of those challenges, I've always had this perspective that it's not worth worrying about. You know, I can remember my mom bought a house, the first place she ever bought. We had always rented, we moved into it, and, and she was worried about having a mortgage and worried about some of these debts. And, and I remember she's at this kitchen table, and she's not really one to worry either. And I remember sitting down sort of across from her, and I don't even know what I said, but it was something to the effect of, don't worry about it, it'll be okay. Because I had a confidence in who God was. I had a confidence in my, who my Heavenly Father was. And David, he is running for his life. He's hiding in the wilderness and he's all alone. It's, you know, it's sort of a really bad situation. People are trying to kill him and he's got no place to go and he's hiding. And in his hiding, he reaches out to God and he says, because your love is better than my life, my lips will glorify you. He's choosing to worship. He's choosing to praise, and then he says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift my hands. So he recognizes today, he doesn't have the strength. You know, life is really bad. I really don't feel like celebrating right now. When I'm going through a tough time, a loss, a, a loss of a job, whatever the case is, mountains of debt, illnesses, I really don't have the strength to lift my hands. But when I lift them up for the sake of God, the strength is there. And David says, I have the strength in your name to lift my hands. Maybe you can relate to him. I lift my hands in your name because of who you are, God. Not because of where I am, not because of who I am. I lift my hands to you, God, as an act of worship. My, my story, as I said, I loved 
music and worship from a young age. God gave me a desire for him probably before I was even born when he knit me in my mother's womb. But as a young child, I expressed that love at a very young age, and I've always loved music, I've always loved worship. Not just music, but I've loved worship. I'm not the best musician in the world, I can't play whatever song you tell me to play, but when it comes to worship, I just wanna worship, and I wanna see people worship, because there's freedom and there's victory when we worship. I wanna lift my hands because my God is worthy to be praised. I wanna lift my hands because I serve a good, good Father. Let's jump to the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and Paul gives this instructions to a young pastor, a young man named Timothy. He says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, there's some older translations in the Bible. They'll say something about a man or man. And what it's referring to is mankind, people, all of these things. But in this passage... Paul specifically is instructing Timothy to the men, please raise your hands. I want men everywhere to raise up their hands without anger or disputing. And he says men in particular because and it's, it's not too often where we see it used this way. But if you notice around church, men are typically the last ones to do it. Why? Because I think men, we have a little bit more pride than everybody else. We've got to be tough. We've got to be strong. And, you know, I've got to look after my family. They're looking up to me, and I'm trying to take care of them. And, you know, I can't show the weakness. And so it's harder for us to put our hands up. And this, yet we see Paul instructing that he wants men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. Now, that doesn't mean every time you pray to lift up your hands. That doesn't mean, ladies, don't lift up your hands or don't worship your hands. But what Paul's saying is, like, look, there are, there are leaders out there, and you need to lead the charge. And you need to stand out in front and show people how big God is. And we're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service today to, to practice this. Because I'm not just going to preach about it. I'm not just going to talk about it. We're going to give you an opportunity to lift your hands and worship once again today. And why do we do this? Why does God want to do this? Because God loves us. God loves it when we do. Uh, you saw, well, you saw a couple of our young kids this morning, mine in particular, uh, especially when a kid falls down flat on their face. I mean, there's nothing more hilarious in the world, but it's painful for them. But when they're running and they just, you know, totally face plant or they get hurt, and they start to cry or scream. What, what's the first thing they do when they see mom or dad? What do they do? Up, up, bup. I've heard that many times, and it's hilarious watching them fall. But there's something so heartwarming when they come to dad. Up. And what does dad do? If, if you're a parent, what do you do? Do you just knock them over again? No, you're fine, pat them on the head. What do you do? Typically, if you're able to, you, you pick them up. You pick them up, and you love them. Just like no father would turn from the lifted hands of his child, just imagine the love of Father God. When our hands begin to move towards God, his heart begins to move toward us. Because he looks at us in our worship, and he, he just fills him with joy, and he says, oh, there's someone that's willing. There's someone that's willing to let me come and do a work 
in them. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you want to get closer to God, you have to take a posture of worship. Have to take a position of worship and say, okay, here I am, God. Here I am, I'm ready. I'm waiting here for you. No loving father would turn away the hands of his child. And God would never turn away from us. So why do we lift our hands? Why else? We lift our hands because God loves when we do. Number two, we lift our hands because it's an offering of praise. Now, an offering is another word really for sacrifice. It costs us something. It means we're giving something up. And David says at another low point in his life in Psalm 141, verses 1 to 2, he says, O Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as an incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. And my upraised hands as an evening offering. Another low point in David's life and what does he do? You know, he probably had his moments of doubt. He probably had his moments of fear and discomfort and, and probably saying, you know, I really wish I wasn't in this spot right now. But what does he choose to do? He takes his attention off of his problems and he begins to give his problems to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. You can hear the urgency in his voice. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as an incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an offering. Maybe today might be the first time you ever lift your hands as an offering of praise. Maybe today will be the first time you ever do it, and it might feel a little bit awkward. It might push yourself out of your comfort zone. But if you just lift them up and say, God, I'm offering my heart to you. I'm offering my praise to you. You may not even feel like praising him. You may not feel like doing it, but you're making a sacrifice. You're putting yourself aside to experience all that God has for you. Not because of what I see, but because of who you are. And God will be pleased. We lift our hands because God loves it. We lift our hands to him because it's an offering of praise to God. We lift our hands because we're reaching out to him and we draw near to him and he draws near to us. Number three, this morning we lift our hands and guys, this one's my favorite one. Because who doesn't like a good fight? I mean, we, we have industries that make millions of dollars off of people fighting. Who doesn't like a good fight? We offer our hands in worship to declare battle. This is a good one. We offer it to declare battle. When we lift up our hands, we say, I'm declaring battle that I need the help of my all-powerful God to battle for me, to battle with me. I'm declaring that the battle is won with uplifted hands. In fact, let's give you a really good example. Right from the Bible, we see an example of this. I was going to say in the book of Joshua, but it doesn't exist. The book of Exodus 17, 10 to 11, we see Moses and Joshua. And Moses says down to Joshua, he says, uh, Joshua, choose some men. We're going to battle. We're going for a fight. They've declared war against us. The Amalekites are coming against us. And we... They have declared war against us, and we have to defend ourselves. So Joshua, get some men together, and we're going to go and fight. And Moses says, tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the mountain, and I will lift my hands to God, and I will pray to him, because tomorrow is the battle. So tomorrow I'm going to stand on the mountains and lift my hands, and you are going to fight and be victorious. And let's read it from Exodus 17. He says, 
So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses has ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Pretty straightforward to us. When we lift our hands, we're declaring battle. With arms lifted up, we're acknowledging the sovereign power of God's people were winning. When we lift up our hands, we acknowledge that God is God. And he is bigger than the situations in front of us. When our arms are no longer up, they're no longer acknowledging the power of God. They're no longer acknowledging who he is. And we see God's people start to lose the battle. But here's the reality. Some of us right now are in a battle and it feels like we might be losing. You know, I just got a letter from the bank. The mortgage is due. I don't have money to pay for it. I got to pay for groceries. There's nothing in my cupboard. Uh, You know, it's such a great time of year to give because it means that for at least maybe one month or a couple days out of the year, there's a couple families they don't have to worry about blessing their kids with presents, having food in their cupboards to eat because of the generosity of people like you and like me. I'm thankful for the, the work of our, our Harvest Food Cupboard because they're helping people fight the battles they face every day. And, and when we give a little bit, when, we, when we we're generous with, with a little and we're generous with a lot, it means people can celebrate the season and not have to worry. But what do we do when we're not at Christmas? What do we do in the, the tougher times of the year when people aren't thinking about us and the battle is getting stronger and stronger? We can do like what David did and begin to lift our hands. We can do what Moses did and lift our hands in God and trust him to supply all of our needs. Maybe we're waiting through a breakthrough for somebody else, maybe someone in our family. We say, God, I'm choosing to worship you even though... Lord, my heart is heavy with the burdens of somebody else that I'm close to. Someone that's hurting, that has an illness, an incurable cancer, a disease, something. God, my hands are raised because I'm choosing to worship you and I'm giving the battle to you today. Raising our hands is an act of faith, an act of trust that God is going to do what God does. I lift my hands up declaring the battle is yours. I lift my hands up and declare that by faith I believe, God, you're fighting for me and you're fighting with me. Because greater is the one who is in me than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. This is for God, for me and his plans to bless me. I lift up my hands. We get to verse 12 of Exodus 17. The story continues. When Moses' hands grew tired... They took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Now he didn't have a fancy Ikea stool like this one. He had a rock to sit on. Trust me, I'd rather sit on this than a rock. But when he got tired, they gave him something to sit on. And when he couldn't lift his hands up any higher, it says they had one on one side, one on the other. And they held up his hands until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with his sword. When his arms got tired, he had people around him. This is what this tells me this morning. Not only do we need God, but we need each other. You know, we can come into this this room every week. We can even go home and we can worship on our own. And God loves it when we worship. We can come in here and, you know, I I can remember even in Bible college, one of the worship leaders in one of our, our chapel services, they say, you know, 
Just close your eyes. Nothing, nothing wrong with closing your eyes, obviously. We do it often. And then they'd say, you know, just go find a place in the room and begin to worship on your own. And so we would do that, and would, we'd have these good moments with God, and, and we sort of had started this conversation. It's like, well, I can do that at home. I already do that at home. I do that in my, my room. I, people go back to their dorm room, and they have these moments of worship. When we come to chapel or we come to church, we, we we're coming to worship together. Sometimes we need someone else to lift up our hands for us. And I'm thankful for our church this morning because we get to lean on one another. Because I, I like to think that we're, we're family. Would you be okay if I called you my family? I like everyone in this room. And even people that don't like when they come in, I still like them because they're family. And you're wondering who that is now, right? But we need each other. There isn't anyone that I don't like, by the way. There's just some people I like more. It's true. But we need each other. We need each other to lift each other's hands up. And as the pastor, I'm so thankful for our leadership team, for our pastor's council, for Judy and for DeGraft and for Frank. And I feel there's many times where, where they're, they're lifting my hands as we serve our congregation and we listen to the voice of God and, and, and figure out what does God want us to do as a church? Where does he want us to go? This has to get done. And, and you know, we lean into God, we worship him, we praise him, but we have a team of people that are doing it together. Tonight we're having a dinner and, and, and Nancy's put together some people to make some food and, and, and Elizabeth and I, we, we, we put together some of the decorations and then we decorated this room a few weeks ago. We had a team of people to do it because when a team of people do it, you get tired a lot less quickly. And we have people together, it's honoring to God. The team holds each other up. If we're going to seek God together, we're going to press into him. And when you can't hold up your hands anymore, when you, when you get to a situation where you just can't do it on your own, this is why I visit people in the hospital, even on their deathbed. Because sometimes people just need a little bit of encouragement just to, to re-invite them into their faith and remind them of their faith to let them know that God sees them where they are. That's why we do the things that we do for people in our community. That's why we serve even hot dogs. We're putting ourselves in the front of people that maybe one day they're going to be in a situation and they're going to need somebody to lean on. They're going to need to know that someone is there for them. And they're not only going to lean on us, we're going to be able to point them to Jesus. We're going to be able to point them to God and say, you know what, I can do this and this and this for you. But what you really need right now is to experience the presence of God. What you really need right now is a miracle from heaven. And just so you know, I happen to know the God of the universe so if you want to get to know him, I can help you do that. You know, he uses us to point people to heaven. It also says where two or three are gathered, we worship together. It says where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. You know, I can go home, I can put on a YouTube video. In fact, I do this often. If I'm, if I'm working, especially late, I, I, have, uh, I have YouTube connected to my TV and I put on some worship videos and some music and it's just, just amazing just in those moments of prayer and worship in my personal time. And if I'm in the office here, I'll often have music on, same thing. Sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's not. But I have worship music on and that's great. But you know what I love even more? Is in a group of people, Sunday morning, at a conference, whatever the case is, I love getting together with other people and lifting our hands together. You know, when you lift your hands throughout history, it kind of means two different things. Number one, it means victory. You win. Like, you go to a sporting event. 
Uh, you know, you may not be a religious person, but how many have seen pretty religious people at a sporting event? Right? My team is winning. Victory. Yes. My team is winning. Victory. You know, block the shot. Block the shot. You know, everyone gets religious at a sporting event. Second, what does it mean? Someone puts a gun to your back or in front of you. What do you do? I surrender. I surrender. It means victory, and it means surrender. In the presence of God, it actually means both simultaneously. God, I'm trusting you for the victory, but God, I'm surrendering to you. I'm trusting you for the victory, and I'm surrendering to you. We sing a song of worship. It's a song of victory. We sing, death was arrested today. You know, out of my sorrow, blah, 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 words are there. We can sing them later. But death was arrested and my life began. Oh, I'm free, free. Forever I'm free. That's victory. Victory and freedom. When I lift my hands and surrender to Jesus, surrender to God, it makes us right with him. So how many want to try this this morning? How many want to take an awkward moment maybe for, for some of us? And we're going to have the words on the screen, but maybe it'd be better if we just close our eyes and do this this morning. And I'm going to ask Judy to come, and she's going to come sing this song with me this morning once again, waiting here for you with my hands lifted high in praise. And we're going to just try this out a little bit. And if you have a need this morning, I'm just going to invite you to give that to God as we praise and worship him.